Hello and welcome to the Memory Capsule Podcast, where we interview members of the Pokemon trading card game community. My name is Rafal Gladys. Each week we'll be speaking with our guests about their background with the Pokemon TCG, how they got involved with the game, and give them an opportunity to share their love of the game. Today's guest is Drew Allen. Drew is a player, streamer, YouTuber, podcaster, and overall expert on the history of the Pokemon TCG. He is the host of the Snowpoint Cast, a YouTube channel dedicated to showcasing old formats and decks, and one of the hosts of the Drew Too Many podcast. Drew is also a talented player in his own right, having made multiple top 32 and top 16 finishes at regionals throughout the years. How you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to be talking to you. Yeah, hope to be on. For sure. And if any of our listeners are just meeting you for the first time, what would you like them to know about you? Uh, I mean, you touched on a lot of it, uh, but I think the only thing you missed is I also am a Worlds level player. I got my invite in 2016 as well as 2018. Um, gotcha. Sorry yeah. about that. I'm just going off of Hey, no, it's so, all good. Yeah, know. I totally get it. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Pokemon TCG? Yeah. Um, so I started playing Pokemon <clears throat> around like 2013, just really casually a, a group of friends. Um had just started playing it with just unlimited cards, not any format or anything. Um, and I thought it was just really fun and cool. <clears throat> and so I built a, I had an unlimited deck that I took to a league because I, I, re- I was like looking around to see if there's any place to go play. And I kind of discovered Pokemon leagues. So I went with my awful Kingdra Garchomp deck and got obliterated by, it was like 2013. So I don't know. I think I got bopped by like Excelgore, got the tell, mm. stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then that kind of, transitioned me into my like league scene i kind of started hearing about tournaments and i was like well if i can go to tournaments for this i may as well start actually playing um and then from then i think that was like early 2013 that i had started and then uh, ever since it's kind of just been been hooked as you also know the game's uh it's a pretty fun game (laughs) yeah i'm a pretty big fan hopefully (laughs) hopefully all of us are um now i'm gonna ask you just a simple question that i have asked all of our guests what is your favorite card of all time Okay, so I've heard a, a decent number of your pods, um, and I think that, like, it's cool that there's favorite cards, but, like, I think this one trumps almost all of the ones that I've heard so all far, right, right. and I think it's Power Spray, because Ooh. if you've played in, like, older, like, 2009, 2010, Majestic Dawn and Call of Legends formats, like, SP formats... Um, the card is just so interactive. So for those that don't know, Power Spray is essentially a trainer card that um, if you had three Pokemon SP in play, which were like a really powerful archetype back in the day, you could play it on your opponent's turn and cancel a Poke Power, which is similar to an ability, um, while it's their turn. So it's a card that you can interact with your opponent on their turn. And it just changed the entire dynamic of the game because, you know, like as soon as you had three Pokemon SP on the board, your opponent had to think well, is, does he have a power spray or does he not have a power spray? There's also another card, uh, Cyrus Conspiracy. Um, or no, Cyrus? Yeah, Cyrus Conspiracy. Uh, is that the one that search? Oh, I don't know. It's like the one that's search search a trainer. I think it's Cyrus Conspiracy. But it's essentially search for uh, like SP to SP item, which uh, power spray was uh, a supporter card and an energy. So you could also like bait your opponents into like, you know, if you... If they have a really integral part of their strategy and you have a Cyrus Conspiracy, you can play it, not grab a Power Spray, and then they have to think, well, maybe he has a Power Spray in his hand already, or you can grab one outright and then uh, kind of just play around with that. Does he have one? Does he have two? Kind of thing. And there's just a lot of like baiting around abilities. You would try to use abilities that you would 
maybe not necessarily need to use in an effort to like draw out power sprays so that when you need to actually use an ability that ability doesn't get sprayed so it's just had a lot of really fun interactions so i'd probably say power spray is my favorite card oh that's really interesting so kind of like the sequence in which you play your supporter like kind of your supporting pokemon would matter a lot yeah exactly it, in the format um yeah cyrus conspiracy is never supporter but uh in the format there's like a lot of broken poke power pokemon there's an ooksy that when you bench it you get to draw till you have seven cards in your hand so that was a really a very common power spray target because you obviously want to stop your opponent from drawing cards but there's another there's a lot of like other really good powers like luxray gl's bright look which is essentially a boss's orders and ability um crobat gl which is a, a zigzagoon ping and ability just drops a damage counter other abilities that like moved energy around so it was a very like it was a very intricate format of knowing like it was very skill based because you had to know which power your opponent actually needed to use that turn and hold your power spray for that. Cause like Uxie baiting a power spray is a very common bait. You know, like I'll drop this Uxie, I'll draw four cards, but secretly I have a Crobat in my hand that I really need to, you know, damage ping something to get a knockout this turn. But if they power spray the Uxie first, then I just get to use the Crobat um, and then not have to worry about the power spray for the Crobat kind of thing. Gotcha. So I, I like that we're already kind of getting into the into the depths of all these old format stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us a little bit more to the to the totally, present yeah. just for a little bit. I do want to kind of jump back to your history as a player and just kind of mm -hmm. ask you. You said that you kind of got into playing around 2013, started going to leagues, working yeah. on becoming a more skilled deck builder. Um, what was kind of your your first big competitive event? At which point you were like, I'm a you know I'm, I'm taking this game seriously. Yeah. Um. So that would be Edmonton or Alberta Provincials, rather, um, which was held at West Edmonton Mall. Back like back in the day, Pokemon was a lot smaller, and they didn't have, like, venues or hotels. Like, sometimes they did, but often majority you would get, like, really bunk venues. Like, in literally in the middle of a mall is where this tournament was held. Um, and so I played that Big Basics Garbodor with lasers uh, to that tournament. And I started 3-0, so I was like, I I'm actually doing really good. Um, and then, unfortunately, back in the day, they had... Um, like donks still you could attack on your first turn and my 3-0 streak got ended by a Mewtwo EX X-balling my lone trubbish start and from mm. there it was kind of downhill <laughs> but that was my first tournament experience and it, as soon as like you get a win streak going it's really hard to stop wanting to play the game like winning in Pokemon is so addicting and so from that point on I was just like oh like I did kind of bad at this tournament I think I finished like I don't know 3-3-1 or something like that um but from that point on, I was just like, holy moly, this game is so fun. And then I started playing at uh, Cups and stuff. I didn't really know about the, like, World's Invite system until, like, later to, like, 2015-ish. Um, and then I started chasing my World's Invite in 2016. And then that was the, the first year that I, I got it. Nice. That's awesome. And, you know, just, again, checking up Limitless, which... Once you get beyond 2016-ish, the, the results are a little bit more yeah, totally. harder to follow. <laughs> I, I did see, like, your 2017, 2018 was a pretty successful season for you. Could you tell us a bit about that? It was pretty good. Um, I forget. Oh, that was, like, Buzz the Buzzgarb um, Portland Regionals. Yeah, so that Regionals was actually, like, stacked. Uh, I remember looking at the day two of that Regionals and just, like, being flabbergasted by how many good players were in that round. Like... My round one was Ross Cawthon, and then my round two was Sam Chen. And I was just like, I'm playing like two of the best players in the game back to back. I was able to beat Sam. I lost to Ross. Um, but yeah, I played Buzzwell Lycanroc to that tournament. And that was 
that was one of the hardest day twos that I've ever played in. Like if you if you just look at the, um, I don't know if you have the tournament like day two up for that. Yeah, one. I can uh, I can get it pulled up. But like just there's so many big names, uh, in that day two. It was it was crazy. You just taking a quick look. You said Portland, right? Yeah, Portland regionals. Yeah, um, so Xander wins it with uh, SP yeah, and Xander. Gondor. And then uh, who got second? The second place player is also uh, Col uh, Coulter Decker. Decker. Yeah, yeah, Coulter Decker is also an amazing player. Oh, same sixty in the finals. I didn't even realize. Yeah, that was that was a crazy tournament. They had a really good meta call for that one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Ricky Gao, Simon Narod, who got second at Worlds. Hunter Butler, who's a buddy of mine who uh, has won a regional before. He's also a great player. He just got signed to uh, DDG as well. Caleb Gettimer. Peter Kicka, Daniel Tavilla, Joe like Joe Rudiger. You look through these and you're like, oh, every one of these is a killer. Sam Huff, Pablo Mesa, like it's just Pram. <laughs> a ton of amazing players in day two. So that was a really tough one. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what else happened this season. I think I did okay with um, Buzz Lichen. It was just like a really good deck. So I, I'm kind of a tier one deck player. It kind of depends. You know, I don't really verge out from like the quote-unquote best deck a lot of the time and most of the time when i do it doesn't go that well for me um a buddy of mine and my best friend in the game who's actually on a team with me his name's trevor reed um we've kind of come to this discovery lately where like you can try to like outplay and like out you know meta the best deck but usually because we played lugia to um toronto and uh salt lake or no not salt lake uh san diego and we both did decent there. We both got points there. But then we switched to a different decks for Vancouver and both did really poorly. So we were kind of just thinking, like, we probably just should have stuck to Lugia. And that kind of theme of, like, just pick a deck that can kill things um, has kind of come up. So I've kind of, I guess that I did that a lot in 2018, which is why my season might have been so successful because Buzz Lichen was a really good deck that year. Gotcha. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Is that kind of the advice you'd give a newer player who's looking to get better at the game? Like, um, just kind of stick to you know, get good at the best deck and kind of go from there? Or would you give it kind a of different depends. advice? It kind of depends what your goal is, I think. Um, I think that playing other decks, like, there's benefits to it for sure. Like, Trevor, the same guy I was talking about, we test, like, once a week. Tomorrow I'm going to his house. We play every, almost every Sunday just to, like, get uh, good at the format. And I think part of understanding a metagame is being able to play the other decks that you're playing against so that when you're playing against them with a different deck, you can say, oh, I've already played this deck, so I know what its goals are. And so I can kind of figure out how to like counter those goals. But in terms of like practice time, if you're new at the game and like want to find success, I think picking a tier one deck and then being like, I'm just going to play this, you know, play a hundred games with this deck and have practice with this deck, know my matchups and then pick a really solid list. That's the other thing, obviously, that's really good. You need to pick a list that's adapted to a meta. Um, and just like tweak the cards in the list to be like, Hey, okay. If something did well at the, the regionals before that's a counter, maybe you can change the list a couple cards to not get hard countered. Um, but yeah, I think picking a tier one deck is just like really good. Just look at Lugia, like Lugia's results. I mean, to be fair, that's also just a broken archetype, but it's just the take prizes deck of this format. Right. And it's done so well in terms of like winning and getting results. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have like a secondary game plan. It just has take prizes and it has the most varied ways in which to take prizes which yeah just makes like it getting so favorable prize trades is yeah. uh it does it so well but even just like playing a deck that can just take prizes is sometimes just as good for sure now you did mention that i think i saw on twitter that you were are going to be going to eyc have you been I am. Yes, looking a lot into post rotation at this point <laughs> yeah i was actually it's funny before you were calling me i was um proxying decks for 
testing tomorrow. Oh, nice. Um, and so I have a couple decks proxied, and then Trevor is also um, building and proxying decks. So currently, the seven, if you're going to EUIC, I think that the seven decks that you kind of have to keep in mind um, and probably test against are Gardevoir, um, Maridon, Lost Box, Giratina, uh, Arceus Giratina, which I think is kind of like not, it hasn't really had a presence in Japan's metagame. Which is uh, what a lot of people are basing it off of, right? That like uh, Yoichi or uh, the Champions Tournament in Japan, the 3000 player one. That's like the biggest result. Uh, yeah, Champions League Aichi. Um, that's like the biggest result that everyone who's going to EUIC is kind of just basic, basing their testing on because it's the only result that we really have. Um, RCS Giratina kind of hasn't been present there, but that's a deck that I think will definitely show up at EUIC because it's really strong. I think it got second last weekend or like last week at the regional in bangkok yeah i got second in bangkok so it's a deck that i think is really good um and then obviously mew is still really good as well as uh lugia i don't think lugia is like as good lugia guardian maridon are all decks that i've probably not gonna probably not gonna pick like i've been on um do you know the limitless tabletop simulator oh yeah for sure yeah so super great tool if anyone's trying to just like test out the consistency of a deck um Shout out to Robin Schultz who made that. It's just like been really helpful for figuring out a deck's consistency. I've been running Maridon and Guardian stuff on that. Um, and I was actually talking um, with, uh, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, um, with another player uh, about Guardi. And he was saying that Guardi is like fine, but the problem is, is it like usually goes down a couple prizes as well before it starts to come back, um, which is just not, I don't know, if you're going to, try to win EUIC doesn't seem like a good show. Mike Fouché. I was talking with Mike Fouché about mm -hmm. it, uh, who is, does another podcast. Um, but yeah, he was just saying Guardi is not that good. And I found Maridon to kind of be sacky as well. Like if you hit your, well, I don't remember the name of the new item. It's like Electro. Generator, it's kind of like Max. Right? Yeah, Electro Generator. That's right. Um, if you hit like two of your Electro Generators and you hit double energy off them, then the deck is like really good. But that kind of strategy is kind of just like a run hot strategy, I think. And sure, there might be like a Maridon that does well, but I just don't think that can consistently do well in a tournament. So I'm kind of down to like Mew, Tina, Lost Box, um, maybe Arceus, Giratina as well. Uh, but I, we just, those are the decks that we have built so that we can kind of grind it out against everything. I, we haven't really tested matchups yet, yet. I've more just been focusing on deck consistency, testing by myself kind of thing. For sure. And it, it is interesting that like a lot of the decks that are coming straight out of the new set that people are hyping up seem at least from your perspective to be a little bit overhyped. You, mm. How much of that do you think is because they're new? And then on the other hand, you have decks like Mew where no one's really talking about it, but like it loses Quick Ball, right? Yeah, and it loses essentially nothing and gains Nest Ball, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And I think that for EYC in particular, because it's the first format um, of you know the new Scarlet Violet format, there is going to be a lot of Maridon, and there is going to be a fair amount of Gardevoir, even though I think it is kind of underwhelming compared to other arch archetypes, uh, because it is that, you know, quote-unquote new thing like you were talking about. I think a lot of players like to play the new thing because they're tired of playing Mew, they're tired of playing Lugia, tired of playing Lost Box. And the other thing, too, is, like, variance with testing. Like, if you're testing Maridon and you're just hitting your uh, Electro... Uh, what's it called again? The Electro Generator? Generator, yeah. If you're hitting your electro generators like a bunch of games, your perspective on the deck is probably going to be like, oh, this is broken. I got to play this, right? So there's going to be some people whose testing results are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good deck. And I think that the deck is fine. It can definitely, I would not be surprised if the deck, you know, top 16 or top 8 um, 
But uh, yeah, I do think it is. those are two of the most overhyped decks just because they are kind of new. People usually flock to new decks um, in a new format like that. For sure. And, you know, that, that's the thing that a friend of mine was mentioning to me. We were testing a few days ago for, for Fort Wayne where he was saying, like, mm. in, in the match that we were trying to test, he was like, you should go second. And if I get any mulligans, like, don't draw it. Like, don't, mm. b don't like, make yourself think your deck is better because you're giving yourself an advantage. You know, just going right. first, taking all the mulligans. Mm. See if your deck can actually function when you're not always, you know, yeah. getting extra. Cards I never take first. mulligans in testing for that reason alone. Like it just gives you a skewed, you know, if you take three mulligans and then you have a, like, especially in a deck like Mew or something, and you hit like a VIP extra off of that mully, it's just a different start than you regularly would have had, right? So I, I think that in testing, in my opinion, you shouldn't take mulligans just because it skews your perspective. But yeah, I, I'm definitely on board with uh, what you're saying on that, just so that like try try to have the most and like where the way i've been building the decks for example the guardy list that i have um i think that the biggest problem for guardy is lost box because lost box just is so early aggressive with cramorant and then their mid game control with sableye being able to take out a manaphy and then potentially like take out curlios on the board with the greninja it's hard for guardy i think but at the same time i want to try to make it as like hard for lost box so the second place um aichi list played two uh, emergency jellies so i have those in the list as well just because i want to like even though the matchup's still probably bad i try to like tech my lists to have the most disadvantageous time obviously not like ridiculous you know i'm not playing like three drapion in rcs giratina or something like that but just being able to know that if your opponent is happening to play a list that is difficult for you if you're testing and you're already playing that difficult matchup, it lets you gauge a little bit better the accuracy of like what that matchup might actually be. And if it's 50-50 and they're like hard teching for you, then you're like, you can come to the conclusion of like, oh, this is probably okay for me because it's hard teched. Uh, and, you know, not everyone's going to be playing double Drapion or whatever the text that you're testing against is. Yeah, like there's always always like a tipping point of like how many techs you can put in for a matchup to finally become a little bit more in your right. favor. I also want to talk a little bit about the, you know, I, I have um, kind of, I guess, like a side note. I've noticed that because we're seeing a lot of these new sets in Japan come out so often and because our meta's mm -hmm. gotten a little bit stale, I feel like a lot of people are already testing, like, two formats ahead of time, right? Because <laughs> everyone's, you Jake know... Jake Earhart definitely is. Yeah, like, everyone's already excited about Iono and everything. It's like, well, EUIC hasn't even happened yet. Right. Um, but I did want to kind of mention a, a tweet of yours that I saw in regards to the Paldea Evolved set. I think that's what it's going to be mm -hmm. called for us. You said that uh, Super Odd Blast was an N getting reprinted in one set. <laughs> if this is Worlds format, it's going to be goaded. Um, yeah. That was 2012-2013 format, right? Yeah, 2013. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was like, yeah, Blastoise was a big deck when I started um, to get into the game. And that kind of touches back on something that I was uh, saying earlier. There's actually two points of what you just said that I want to touch on. The first one is... Um, that just the, what I was talking about earlier about picking the deck that can just take prizes the most effectively. And I have no doubt that, um, what's the like ice type, uh, dragon guy. He looks like Godzilla. He's, I haven't played Scarlet uh, Wild, so I don't Bax know. Baxcalibur. Yeah. Baxcalibur. That's like the, re uh, the Blastoise re reprint, the Deluge reprint. Um, I have no doubt that that's going to be tier one and I'm very likely just like going to try to tech that the most effectively as I can. It's actually Nat's format. It turns out it's not um, World's format. It's actually Nat's format. But if I do go to NAIC, it kind of depends on how I do at EUIC. Um, I'm hoping to do good enough to not have to go. But if I have to go, I probably will be playing that just because it's going to be such a good archetype that will almost guarantee 
points just because it's so, it's so good. You know, when you can attach as many energy as you want per turn, it's really good at taking prizes. I uh, I played the original Blastoise Curum to Nats that year in 20, mm. 2013. I do want to mm. kind of redeem myself because I borrowed four beaches <laughs> and it went like one in five. So <laughs> maybe oh, no. I'll be playing uh, maybe I'll be playing the new one to try to yeah you know, make up for that. Well, mistake. I can give you a little maybe a tip for your your viewers too. A thought that I had um, about the deck that maybe like how you might be able to tech effectively. The other card for um, Paldea Evolved that was really interesting that I think has a lot of potential. I don't know any of the names of these new Pokemon. Um, it's the, like, fighting guy with a bowl, the cracked bowl on his head. Yes. I will have to look it up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know his name either, but he's got an ability that says uh, if he's active, your opponent's Pokemon with damage counters on them have no abilities. So there's obviously a lot of cards uh, in the format that are probably really good with that. You know, Halucha comes to mind. Um, you know, Coridon EX. So I think the deck... Might it has the potential to be a really good archetype, uh, but one thing that I think uh, Backscalibur Chen Pao is able to play to counter that is fruit or picnic basket. You just heal from thirty from all of your Pokemon, um, and that's also like something that I like about techs and that I try to keep in mind when I'm I'm thinking is it worth it to include this tech for this matchup? Is like how broad is this tech going to be? Like if you're playing a one of tech. Drapion's a great example. Like, it's dead in every matchup that's not Mew, essentially. But, like, if you play it in Giratina, you just beat Mew into the ground, right? So, like, if that's your goal for the tech, that's fine. Uh, and it's one slot, so that's totally okay. But, you know, something like Picnic Basket, it's it's good against that if that happens to be uh, the big bullhead guy. Sort of, I forget his name. Um, but it's Ting also... Ting Lu is what it's called. Yeah, Ting Lu, that's right. Um, it's good against him, but it's also good against stuff like Lost Box, right? Who, like, try to Sableye and set up... Knockouts on your board, being able to heal thirty from everything um, is really getting at decks like that as well. So I think just when you're picking a tech, seeing the investment of how many slots of your list you're investing compared to like both how many matchups in a meta it's affecting, as well as how severely it's affecting those matchups. Like if you play a Drapion and Giratina, your Mew matchups like really good, like seventy thirty at least, probably like eighty twenty. Um, but you know. Four ofs for Picnic Basket, <laughs> I better be beating Ting Lu every time, and I better be beating Lost Box almost every time as well if I'm dedicating four slots to something like that. But I think that's a card that has some potential into the, the second format as well. And then the other thing I was going to touch on just before we continue is um, thinking too far ahead. I think, depending on what your goal is and what you're doing, um, it can be fine, but I think it can also be really detrimental just because, you know, if you're thinking about a format uh, Paldea evolved, but your next event is EUIC, your focus isn't in the right place. And all the players whose focus is on Scarlet Violet and who aren't testing games of a you know format that's not out for another three months are going to have an advantage over you in that tournament. For sure. And, I, and I'm sure that's probably happening right now where a lot of the better players are looking forward to EUIC, but there's still a couple, you know, not a couple, there's one more regional in this format left, right, next week. Totally. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll kind of see how that goes when a lot of the best players are definitely just looking forward to the international just a couple weeks after yeah, that totally. mm -hmm. in regards to tinglu one thing i saw on andrew mahone's stream that i thought was pretty interesting was mm. when he saw that card he was just really excited kind of going over with his chat about like what's the most way best way to make this card the most effective you know work mm -hmm. most effectively and he was saying that like what he really appreciated about a set like Peldi Evolved, at least from the looks of it right now, is that we're not necessarily seeing what we've had for the last few, 
last year or two where every set clearly has the next like bdif just pre-constructed inside of it right like lugia archaeops in one set giratina lost box in one set mew in one set um and him kind of going over this card and being like this is clearly really good but it's not obvious how to build it right um Hmm. i think that's gonna be very rewarding for a lot of talented deck builders uh moving forward yeah ting lu is definitely a card that i think um players might be able to find out some crazy way to play it to keep damage counters on i i actually don't know what that looked like that looks like my uh strong suit in terms of deck building isn't figuring out a base list like that it's actually one of my weaknesses um but I'm a lot better at like taking a list that's already developed and then tweaking it, you know, four or five cards to make it uh, a little bit better in that sense. So that definitely is something that I think, uh, I hope that players find a good way to play it because Ting Lu is such a cool card. For sure. And I also noticed that it's it's pretty interesting that it also says um, that it does not affect EXs, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because right now we've had all these different locking, ability locking cards for everything um that has a rule box and this is specifically Mm -hmm. not for exs which is text that we saw a lot more during the ex format where we had different stadiums or different abilities that would affect things as long as they're not exs and stuff yeah Yeah. exactly so it's going to be interesting if we see a little bit more of that Mm -hmm. as you mentioned desert ruins it's kind of we can kind of jump right into this now um yeah what a good segue right for sure yeah (laughs) retro formats to just kind of get us kicked off can I just ask you how you got involved into retro formats? You got started the game in 2013, but you were telling me all about power spray being your favorite card. How did you get into a, which is like a 2009 card. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How did you get into old formats? Um, so initially I, you know, I, I was just playing standard for the longest time. And then I think it was around 2018 or so. Um, I just started to, I like, I found the Snowpoint temple, which you, um, interviewed the uh owner of snowpoint temple previously which was i also listened to that interview it's a good one um but i just kind of looked got into that and i was like oh some of these cards look really cool um and obviously like i was i've been collecting pokemon cards since i was a kid so i knew about a lot of these cards like i had a um dark tyranitar the one with sand damage and i had like a fair amount of the cards that i was like oh i could just start like slowly building these decks the cards at the time weren't that expensive but I was also still, you know, I, I'm not super rich or anything. So I had to proxy a lot of my 2006 decks initially and then kind of fill them out as I got them. They're pretty much built now. Um, but that was the first deck that I, or rather um, format that I started with was 2006, which is a pretty fun format. It's a little bit slower, which is nice. Um, you know, you have more than four turns in a game when you're not killing V Pokemon for two. Um, you're kind of just using Jirachi uh stellar wish to you know look at the top five cards of your deck pick one and then just pass your turn falls asleep you do that for like three turns before the game actually starts so um i don't know that that was the first format that i started with was 2006 and i really liked it and then from there i kind of just started diving in um jp jonathan Paranata, who's a buddy of mine from uh the pacific northwest he also started to get into it at the same time so we started kind of just talking about you know lists and what formats were fun and stuff. So I kind of, I think it went from 2006 uh, to, what was the next format that I built? Honestly, I had only 2006 for the longest time. And then in 2019, when the pandemic hit, I found myself with a lot of time. I used to work as a server. uh, So I lost my gig at that point. And I was like, well, I'm on unemployment right now. I'm just going to rock this for, you know, a month or two. And I'm just going to 
build a bunch of old decks and start i moved in with uh trevor as well my best friend and he obviously loves playing the game so we just played a bunch of games um and i i think i was uploading like i was trying to get like a video a day out during covid and for a while i stuck to that um uh, but it was <laughs> a really hard benchmark to hit so i kind of slowed down but initially i was just like pumping out tons and tons of videos um and that's kind of well, at that point i was like well i already have you know videos for x format i I may as well build another format and then we'll play some of that. And that's kind of how I started to build my um, collection. I have 65-ish old format decks built now from a lot of formats. If um, you want to take a look at those, you can check them out. It's on my pinned, I have them on a Google Drive, uh, pinned to my Twitter at drugong underscore Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Uh, but yeah, you can see all the decks that I have there. Um, or obviously, check out the Snowpoint cast uh, for a majority of them as well. For sure, yeah. And I, I'm sure, you know, in the in the description for the episode, I'll put in a link to your Twitter, Snowpoint cast, anything, um, you know, any resources that people uh, should have to, you know, be mm -hmm. able to follow you and all your stuff. Now, when you're talking about, like, kind of getting into these old formats, what resources were you using to kind of get um, mm. invested in them? Like, how did you become an expert in something like 2006 where the cards are hard to come right. by lists are harder to come by um not a lot of people are playing it how did you get into that especially back in the day yeah totally it was really hard to come across resources um like again jp was one of those big resources talking to people used to be the uh the way back in the day and snowpoint temple has been a thing for a while that was another big resource that i just like i would talk to people and be like hey this list is it okay does it maybe need some improvements as well as playing, like when you play matchups and stuff, you kind of learn, uh, you know, what decks and what cards in what decks are good and useful and which are not so useful. And so I kind of just like started modifying, modifying my lists as I like played them. Um, and as well as I had a, a like decent pool of people who I could talk to who had um, also just been growing knowledge in the game as well, like at the same time, like JP started at the same time as me. And we kind of just both got into old format together. And he was a big resource that I would, I would bounce ideas off of and kind of build lists from there gotcha so what would you say is kind of your favorite retro format to play would that be 2009 mm. then that is a really good question let me actually pop open the snowpoint cast uh to figure that out it's probably majestic dawn to call of legends so um i'll i'll just give your viewers a little bit of a history lesson here so in 2011 uh there was a like obvious rotation the year before, um, but a card came out and a rule change happened with the black-white era that affected a particular card to the point where it was broken and not fun. Uh, so Sableye Stormfront has an ability, or a poke body rather, called Overeager. If you start Sableye, you could ignore the coin flip and go first. Um, and then it also has an attack, which I don't fully remember the name of the attack to be honest um but it just like it, i think it was like it does 10 uh overconfident so if for one dark it does 10 and then if uh your the opponent's active has less hp than sableye then it does like an additional 40 damage or something like that so you can do like 50 for one uh it doesn't do an additional 40 it does an additional 30 so it did 40 for one add a special dark it's doing 50 for one and then cards like crobat existed so you could there was uh decks called sable donk um, so you could just like essentially start a Sableye. If your opponent started a single prizer, because you could attack on the first turn, you just immediately get to go first. You know, you hit your opponent, let's say they started, you know, a 60 HP Pokemon. If you hit them with a single Sableye or a single Crobat ping, 
drop a damage counter on them. They're at 50 HP. Attach a special dark, and then you overcompete it for 50 and win the game. So with cards like Uxie that just let you draw a ton of cards and, you know, poke a turn that let you reuse Crobats, it was just a really toxic format where it was a coin flip of, am I going first with my Sableye or are you going first with yours? Because we both started a Sableye, so we actually have to coin flip. And so Pokemon understood that, and they were like, well, we're not going to have this be our Worlds format because Worlds was coming up. So they had a mid-season rotation, and they rotated up to uh, Hard Gold, Soul Silver to Black and White for Worlds. But the format just before that, Majestic Dawn to Call of Legends. So Call of Legends is the uh, format, or the set, rather, just before Black and White is one of my favorites because it has all of the fun parts of SP. You know, you still have Power Spray, you have Dialga Chomp, you have Lux Chomp. Um, but I think that... So 2010 is one of the formats that, like, a lot of people love and go back to. I don't know if you played 2010, but it's a pretty fun one. I haven't. Um, I, I got into the game right after that midseason rotation, so I just remember seeing mm-hmm. that people were selling all of their Lux Chomp cards for... Yeah. a ton of money it was very expensive to build right after mm-hmm. it got rotated so 2010 is like a notoriously famous b- argued goaded format because it's really fun it has you know all the sp tools uh gardevoir is a really uh powerful deck and you there's like probably you know 30 plus archetypes that are okay or are you know playable in that format um but i think guardy gardevoir um secret wonders kind of puts a hinder on 2010 it's just like broken for a Psychic and a Double Colorless Energy does 60 and then locks your opponent's Pokemon powers. Uh, and then Telepass is an ability that it's a power that it has. Um, you can search your opponent's discard pile for a supporter card and use it. So they essentially got to double supporter every turn as well as power lock you, which is just like so, so good. Yeah, that's like Guardi is, is broken. It uh, should have won Worlds that year. It didn't. Uh, Luxchomp did. But it was it's just like the one of the best decks in the format. One of the variants, in my opinion, is the best deck in format. And that kind of puts a hinder on a lot of deck strategies, right? When you can't use your powers, it's just not as fun. You don't get to interact with the game as much. So that's one of the reasons I don't really like 2010, but Majestic Dawn to Call of Legends has all of those fun parts of 2010, as well as some cool cards from Call of Legends without the like uh, damper of Guardi being around. So that's, I would say Majestic Dawn to Call of Legends, probably one of the most underrated formats uh, is bar none my favorite. And a lot of people in Snowpoint, in the Snowpoint Temple think so as well. It's just a really, really fun format. And I think just last week, so when I was talking to Sable, they were saying the same thing, that that, that kind of mid-season format that unfortunately never got, you know, mm-hmm. like a World's, uh, you know, a world's Dex or anything like that, um, yeah. was one of their favorites. It's so fun. If you're thinking about building any format, I would say build that format. And there's uh, deck lists, again, on my Twitter and the Snowpoint cast, just of great, fun decks that you can build in that format. For sure. Check it out, everybody. Now, on the other hand what would you say is kind of one of the more overrated retro formats i know there's been some discussion back and forth on twitter about sun and moon to lost thunder uh being not as fun as everyone says it is yeah i know sable was saying that um rs to pk is not quite as fun as people say it is what are your thoughts on kind of what's a bit of a overrated format I, I can get behind RS to PK. Like, I understand where Sable's coming from. Um, there are some toxic parts to it. Cessation Crystal is broken. It just locks all powers if it's a tool attached to the active. But it is a really broad format, so you can kind of just choose to ignore those decks if you're playing casually for fun at home, if you have those decks built. Um, so I, I wouldn't say RS to PK. That's a format that I really like. But this is kind of a hot take, to be honest, because a lot of people really like these formats. Um, but I've just never really been a fan is the the old base formats um you know like uh haymaker and blastoise stuff like that 
it's fun for sure but i think that one of the detriments of uh like base format and formats around that is wizards when wizards were in charge of um making cards and developing cards especially when they just started the game the trainer cards were insane and like some of them were just downright not fun like energy removal and super energy removal are two cards that i would say is actually the main reason i don't like those formats energy removal just uh, as a trainer card take an energy from your opponent's pokemon and put it in the discard pile Sup uh, superior energy removal um discard an energy attached to one of your pokemon and then discard two attached to one of your opponents so it's just like not a very fun mechanic that stopped you know if you obviously if you don't have energy on your board you can't play um so just i think that was the main reason that i don't really like that format and is that why it kind of encourages decks like haymaker where it's just one or two energy attachments or exactly blast or blast where, where you can just be like yeah. i'm getting discarded but i don't care yeah right it kind of just like limits it to a, a very few amount of archetypes which i i think that's a really good sign of whether a format is healthy or unhealthy is how many archetypes are in it you know if you have like four decks that can do anything it's probably not that good of a format but a format like rsdpk or 2006 or 2010 that have you know 25 30 decks that you can play with and they can interact together are it's just a little more fun at that point for sure and you know even sometimes like i'll be looking at some of the archive websites of old decks and and lists and they'll list like 20 30 different decks that are technically yeah. part of that format but it's like how many of them were actually viable and competitive <laughs> not 30 yeah <laughs> yeah of those yeah th that's a good point for sure like of those formats i think there's maybe you know less than five that i would call tier one for sure but that's kind of the fun of the older formats is especially if you're just building them to play with friends at home you can just build like you know the tier two decks uh, 2006 is a great example of that when i built 2006 initially some of the first decks that i had built were queen dom uh dreg trode uh ludicargo and Rocklock, and those are all like tier two decks they're not really good decks ludicol is probably a tier three deck but since they're just like stage two decks and they are of relatively equal power they're really fun to play against one another because you know it comes down to skill-based decisions as well as like you know interacting with your opponent's stage twos with your stage twos and when you're doing that the game is just it's a little bit longer it's a little bit healthier so that's one of the nice parts about old formats you can kind of just ignore the like broken s tier decks if you'd like to you know if you're going to a tournament probably don't do that but if you're at home and you built ours to pk and you have railer and your opponent, like your buddy who's never played old format, you give him another deck, he's obviously going to have a really bad time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Railer is just like a broken deck from ours to PK. It's probably the best deck in ours to PK. So just, just being able to choose and pick which decks you want to play um, in an old format is kind of the advantage of those formats not being tournaments anymore. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And kind of in general, what are some of your favorite retro decks just throughout all of uh, the ones you've played? That's another good question. Uh, number one would have to be Dialga Chomp. Um, I, during COVID, another, uh, I don't run this anymore, uh, and it's not really a thing anymore, but I was running uh, the Snowpoint Circuit, which was essentially like a tournament circuit in a Discord. Um, we had lots of good players, like Piper used to play in them all the time, Piper Lapine, um, who won Toronto, and uh, Noah Sakajin, who's another great player. And we would just go play old format, and every single time that I played with Dialga Chomp, I would learn something. I would either have misplayed or, you know, have could have done something better. And I think the skill ceiling for Dialga Chomp is probably one of the highest of all time. So I, I would probably put that at number one. Um, but other decks that I really like, um, hmm, the 2014 
format is really fun. Like big basic scarb, I'm biased because that's uh, a deck that I you know started with and kind of played for a really long time. Um, is another one of my favorites. Big basic scarb is really fun. Plasma from that format is really fun. Um, yeah, Arcanine from 2006 and RSTPK is also a great deck. You know, just overrun being able to attack your opponents and snipe damage is also great as well as trainer locking them. And oh, I'll say one more from RSTPK that I really enjoy is uh, Gardevoir Delta. So Gardevoir Delta, one of the great parts of RSTPK is it has a lot of really unique uh, Poke powers. Uh, Gardevoir Delta is one of them. So Gardevoir Delta EX has a Poke power called Imprison. Once you return, you can put an if this Pokemon is active, you can put an Imprison counter on one of your opponent's Pokemon, and it essentially locks their powers. So you get to like pick and choose what you're locking, and that that deck is just super fun. There's a there's three different Gardevoirs that you play, and they're all really really good. So if you're building ours to PK, definitely build that one. But yeah, those are some of my favorites. Now going a little bit more specific than just decks, um, do you have any? Well, I guess we've already asked you kind of your favorite cards of all time, but in mm. terms of cards that you think would be maybe healthy reprints, good reprints to bring back to our and? game. We, yeah, exactly. We see <laughs> which we you see know Iono. Iono we were back. talking about that earlier. <laughs> exactly. We see Iono. A lot of uh, old favorites returning um, by the end of the year. Is there any other cards in the history of the game that you think would be kind of a smart decision to bring back? Would Power Spray be something like that? I don't know how it would quite interact if they'd uh, have to bring yeah, back a new archetype. Power Spray would be pretty different because, you know, it's pretty particular to SP Pokemon, and I don't think they could bring back SP Pokemon with the EX. You know, as soon as they kind of went to EXs in 2012, they kind of locked themselves into, we're sticking with two prize Pokemon basics that are going to be strong. Um, and as soon as they revert from that, it's kind of, you know, the old EXs or old V Pokemon are just going to outpower that. So they kind of, like, locked themselves in there. But... Um, the couple cards that I would say, uh, do you know Pow Hand Extension? Yes. Yeah, so I think the comeback cards are really powerful. That's one of the reasons I really liked Iono. Um, it's just, just being able to, you know, come back on your opponent, having an out. Uh, that's one of the reasons I actually really hated this format. A lot of people said it was okay. I didn't like it because as soon as your opponent takes a prize lead, like imagine staring down a Raikou that just took two prizes against you uh, in a Lugia deck. Uh, that's just really, really hard to come back from, right? With no comeback cards. But if we had, you know, maybe a card like Pow Hand Extension or Iono, it might make it a little more possible. So just being able to play back from, uh, you know, a prize deficit is really advantageous because it, it brings a little bit more skill to the game when uh, the games aren't come, going down to coin flips as much, right? If you get to go first and you get to take two prizes first, that's obviously a massive advantage. So cards, any cards that are able to kind of bring that back. So for those that know Pow Hand Extension, um, it's a trainer card. You can only use it if your opponent has more prize cards than you. You can pick one of two options. The first option is its boss's order, so it brings one of your opponent's bench Pokemon active. And then the second option is you can take an energy card attached to your opponent's active Pokemon and move it to one of their bench Pokemon. So if you have multiple of those in a turn, you can kind of shut down your opponent's active Pokemon that's attacking if it attacks for two or more energy, which I think is just a really cool interaction that you can have with your opponent's board. So if, if I had to pick one, I would say POW hand extension, but in general, comeback cards, um, which is kind of why I was disappointed with Scarlet Vile a little bit, because there was that one, uh, the one tool that like let you do 30 more damage if you were down on prizes. But at Worlds, they were like, we're going to do comeback stuff. And then Scarlet Vile was like, eh, you can have this <laughs> one tool. And to be fair, they did print Iono in the next set. But um, I'm hoping they do more of that comeback mechanic because being able to come back 
from prize deficit just means going second is less favorable and it brings a lot more skill to the game which is great for the game yeah it means you have to kind of think a lot more about when you take prizes how you take prizes how developed your board is Hmm. again to kind of flip the other side of the coin what's a card that has been really popular throughout history that you never really want to see reprinted i think a common one i've seen mentioned (laughs) by people is maybe dce well, it seems, yeah, definitely probably the best Pokemon card ever, DCE. It's just, like, very, very good. Two energy for one attach is really good. And I think they have it figured out. You know, they printed twin energy as DCE, but only for non-rule box Pokemon. They printed double turbo energy, which is DCE with a minus 20 nerf. So I feel like Pokemon, after, you know, however many years, 15, 20 years, finally figured that one out. Yeah, um, just a little learning curve, right? <laughs> yeah, just a 20-year learning curve, whatever. Uh, hmm, that's a good question, though. There hasn't been, like, a ton of cards that I'm like, I wouldn't like this. Um, just because the the brokenness of trainers, like I was saying earlier, from base set kind of went down as soon as uh, TPCI started doing, uh, you know, card control when they were making cards. They brought the power level of trainers down a lot. I don't think there's a single card that I'd be like, I really would hate to see this. I mean, if they, re- if they did energy removal, that would be <laughs> hell. But they obviously figured that one out, too, with Crushing Hammer. So. Yeah, and they already kind of... Well, because Crushing Hammer, before it was Crushing Hammer, was had a different name in, like, 2005, didn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Energy Removal 2. Ah, ooh, there you go. Really creative of yeah. them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have noticed that there's a lot of cards that we have now that people don't realize have been, existed for a long time just under different names. Like, totally. Pokemon Reversal is just Pokemon Catcher. Yep. And then you have uh, Warp Point is Escape Rope, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, both of those. Yeah. A lot of the old formats are more familiar than people realize, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think some of the one of the things about old formats too is like, there's just a lot of cards that would be healthy for the game if they came back. And that's one of the things about Paldea Evolved that kind of gives me a little bit of hope is they're reprinting a lot of cards. You know, you know I don't know if Blastoise reprint is necessarily healthy for the game, um, but like the the N reprint in Iono, which is like way better than N in a lot of ways. Um, like, I think it's a lot, Iono is a lot more skill-based than N because, you know, for N, uh, you had to, because you shuffled back into your deck, it was just always thinning. Like, it was just like, oh, I don't want these cards because I want to, I might draw into them off of N. But I think Iono is such a, it's going to be a card that's really healthy for the game because um, it's a lot more skill-based, right? Like, let's say you're playing a Lost Box deck and you have an Iono and you're like, well, I could Comfey this turn, but if I'm paying attention a lot and I know that there's a boss in my deck... Uh, I might just hold off on this Comfe in case I get Ionode. Because if you if you Comfe into the boss, obviously you're going to take it if it's a win condition for you. But then it goes to the bottom of your deck, right? So just kind of a, a skill-based interaction that you can have is like being conservative with how deep you dig. And just, you know, situationally you do different things. Situationally you want to find stuff um, if you have a really small hand size and a really small deck size. So I just think Iono is a great card that brings a lot of skill to the game. And I'm really glad that they decided to reprint N in a, cer- in a certain way, yeah. For sure. And, you know, it's time for everyone to just buy all their switching cups now, just to, just ahead of time, right? <laughs> you know, what's so funny is uh, Andrew Zavala, who's the other Drew on the Drew Too Many pod, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, switching cup's going to be broken now. And oh I'm like, gosh. no, Andrew, it is not. Yeah, we're losing Oranguru, right? What else are you going to do? We are, unfortunately. <laughs> Rest in peace to the monkey is one of my favorite cards from this set, or this uh, format, rather. Um, yeah, and I, and I definitely see, like, I have hope with the design design decisions that they're doing stuff that bringing back some of the old favorites that were really, really strong, but just giving them like a bit of a tweak or a bit of a nerf that makes mm-hmm. them a bit more reasonable. Like 
DTE instead of DCE, like Arceus doing 200 by default would be just kind of ridiculous because you just slap really a choice good. belt yeah. and it knocks out anything. Totally. Um, I don't know if you saw there's like a Fortress EX that's going to come out. I did see that. Yeah, that's and we've had, um, for those who don't know, it's it knocks itself out, gives your opponent two prizes, and you search your deck for five grass energy and put it anywhere on your board. And we've had electrodes that do that, that get any energy from your discard, any energy from your yeah. deck, and it's grass energy now, which is the same ability but a little bit more restricted, so we're not doing ridiculous stuff with it. I mean, it's also a lot better. Like, Electro DX only got uh, energy cards. It was any energy card, which is the really powerful part about it because Scramble Energy was in that format. Um, but the getting any grass, like, six grass from deck is, like, not only is that really good, but also, like, forcing your opponent into a prize uh, deficit can be crazy, too. Like, imagine your opponent is at four prizes and you're at four prizes, and then... You go blow a fortress, they take two, and then you Iona them down to two and take two prizes. Like that seems like a really hard position to come back from. So I think that Electro DX, just more about prize control. Um, I think that's just also really healthy for the game. Because like you were saying earlier, just if your opponent just starts aggroing you and starts taking prizes, there's not just nothing you can do. You kind of have options. Yeah, there's a, a lot of, I mean, we just keep talking about like a lot of throwbacks, a lot of cool stuff coming out um, mm -hmm. that people are pretty excited about. Yeah, the game seems like it's headed in a really healthy direction, I think. I'm excited for the EX format's future. Definitely. You know, and, and there's some stuff that we, at the end of the day, just kind of has to rotate, right? Like, I know there's... Right. I, I, we, you were saying that, like, um, in RS to PK, you'll have, like, turns where it's just, like, Jirachi, 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 everyone's setting up. <laughs> and I remember when Mesa Gozo was printed, I was like, you know what? It'd be cool if the first two or three turns of every game is everyone's just like, Mesa Goza, Mesa Goza, like, let's just slowly set up. But Remind me what Mesa Goza does? I don't remember. It's a, I don't even know what that Pokemon is, to be honest. Oh, it's a stadium um, from Scarlet Violet. Oh, cool. You uh, Each player can flip a coin. If heads, you can just search your deck for a Pokemon card. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a super balanced, good stadium that I've been seeing in a lot of the Japanese lists um, yeah. that have been doing well. But then, you know, Lost Box, Mew, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. So, um, True enough. you know, the, the days where we are slowly evolving all of our stage twos with Mesa Goza turn by turn um, might be next year. But the Sableye game is moving is in a good direction. Sableye is absolutely a gatekeeper. Sableye is bad for stage twos for sure. <clears throat> yeah, I am curious if they're going to try to reprint something that can stop it um, now that mm. we're losing um, Parasol. Because it's just Espeon now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's Espeon and Galarian Mr. Rhyme, Ooh. which is Espeon's ability, but it's a stage one. Yeah, and it's also Galarian Mr. Rhyme. <laughs> yeah, and it has less than 120 HP, so it's going to be dying. <laughs> yeah. As we start kind of winding down and wrapping up our episode, let me just kind of ask you, what events are you planning on being at? You've already mentioned EYC. Where are people going to be able to uh, find you? Um, yeah, so I'm going to go to EYC. I'm also going to Portland Regionals. I'm doing a road trip there with Trevor and a couple other buddies, so I'm definitely going to be there. Hopefully, I won't be at NAIC. Uh, I'm kind of hoping. I'm at like 110 points right now, so I still have a bit of a grind ahead of me. But if I have a good finish at EUIC and a decent finish at Portland, I'm hoping to wrap up my invite like that. But you might also um, see me at NAIC, depending on how those tournaments go. Yeah. I hope I can meet you, but I hope you're not pressured to have to go there because of points. Uh, yeah, I hope not either, but also I've heard NAIC is like one of the most fun uh, formats like, or fun uh, tournaments of the year, rather. So I, I, if I have to go, wouldn't be that bad. Other than the fact that it's in Ohio, which is just a whole other mess <laughs> that we probably don't want to start talking about. One last thing before we finish up. 
you're pretty involved with doing all sorts of content now. You're on the Drew Too Many podcast. You have started a Snowpoint, uh, the Snowpoint cast. How did you get involved with making all of this content? What is your experience like with that kind of stuff? And how can someone get involved with that themselves if they're interested? Hmm. Uh, so I will say that I am, you know, even though I do have a lot of content outlets, I'm by far not the most, you know, successful content creator out there just because of, I think something that I realized when I was, uh, in the middle of COVID is like, like I was talking about, I had a, I knew the, the YouTube algorithm just really rewarded people who put out consistent content. So I was like, well, even though, you know, I know old format is a niche that a lot of people aren't gonna, you know, flock to. They're like TCG is a niche in itself and then old format is a niche within a niche. Uh, but I was like, I'm just gonna put out a bunch of content, you know, five five days a week and then hopefully the algorithm will like me. And it did, but I think that if you're starting content creation, just reflect on your goals because my goal at, at the beginning that I didn't realize was like, I just wanted to get video content of old format out there because there wasn't really any video content of old format out there yet. And I was like, well, this is, this is really cool. I really like almost all these formats and I want other people to, you know, be able to play them and like them as well. So my, my goal shouldn't have been like, oh, I'm going to put X content out by X date. But on the other hand, if, you know, my goal was to become one of the biggest Poketubers, uh, then that's something that you would have to do to do that, right? Is put out consistent. I'm sure Andrew Mahone puts out, you know, couple videos a week out. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he has over hundred subs. So I think if you're gonna get into content creation first, um, just reflect on what your goals are, like what you wanna do with it, and then uh, kind of go from there, depending on what you wanna do. For sure. And as someone who's, uh, yeah, you know, working on content himself, I do appreciate that, uh, you know, some guidance on that. Yeah, your content's gas too, honestly. Like I think top Pokemon podcast right now, I'm biased. Um, but I think Drew Too Many is up there because the boys are so <laughs> You guys funny. are pretty good. But, I, I enjoy the big group. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, but also, I think your pod is up there, too. Uh, like It's like us and then Azul and Chip's pod, I think. There's a couple other pods. Uh, like Lake of Rage is good as well. Um, but I think that, like, yeah, I think those, like, your podcast is really great. I really appreciate the content that you do as well. For sure. It's <laughs> very flattering. I really appreciate it. It um, means a lot to me. Now to to you know give you one last chance, where can people find you in terms of um, social media, all your content? Um, what should I be adding to the description of the episode? Where can, <laughs> what's all the different places um, people can find you? So yeah, you, you hit most of them um, on Twitter. You can find me at drewgong underscore allen a l l e n. Um, and again, if you want to find deck lists, I have a Google Drive of every deck that I have built right now, current lists um, on there. So if you're thinking about building an old format, definitely check that out. Um, you can find me at the Snowpoint Cast on YouTube. Uh, I also have videos, so I have deck profile videos of like you know explaining of every card in a list if you're not sure uh, what each card does, as well as some versus videos and even a few interviews myself. Um, I talked with Pram, uh, who got second of Worlds in 2010, and Sebastian Crema, who's a friend of mine um, who also did really well in 2006 and 2009, um, and then as well the Drew Too Many podcast, uh, which is on Spotify, uh, which comes out every other Wednesday. Uh, I do that as well. So you can check me out at all those places if you are so inclined. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man, me. thank you for having really me on. This is really fun. For sure. 
thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to drew for being so generous with his time i hope you enjoyed our conversation if you're interested in hearing more conversations like this one please consider giving the podcast a follow review or rating wherever you're listening if you want to follow us on social media you can follow the podcast on twitter at memcap podcast or if you want to see me post about my own experiences you can follow me on twitter at rz gladys hope you have a great day and thank you for listening